This is Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. Pod. Podcast. From Red Hog Publications. Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. Welcome to Red Pub Pod. I'm Richard Eller. My editor-in-chief refers to me every morning as the boss man, so I guess I'll own that one. Yeah, the boss man. And with Robert Knipe, who is the editor-in-chief, and the person who really runs the place, our acquisitions editor, Patty Thompson. I'll own that. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. For this morning. Good, because anyway. <laughs> i got a brand new list of things for you to do the rest of the day, so I've been waiting for you to say that. And it's due to their success we can claim that we are in the top three of the recent uh, poll, Top of Valley poll held by the uh, Hickory Daily Record, so we want to thank all... Ten? Ten, three, five, Twelve. eight, six listeners that we have out there today. We have a very special guest with us in the studio here at Catawba Valley Community College uh, with the Winging It podcast, because we're doing a double exposure here. We were just on the Winging It podcast, which is the official CBCC podcast with Cassidy Collins, and now she is joining us as our author. So welcome, Cassidy Collins, to Red Pub Pod. The official Red Hawk Publications podcast. <laughs> I am I am a guest on the official Red yes. Hawk Publications podcast. Thank you for having me today. Now you are an author, but you're also a part of Red Hawk Communications. That's your day job. Yes. Tell us about that. Oh my goodness. Well, we have a terrific team at Red Hawk Communications. I am. Um, I guess, fully myself as the writer of Red Hawk Communications. So um, I am the lead writer and editor for the magazine, Soar Magazine, uh, that just came out this year. Called Soar. Soar Magazine, yes. Yes. Um, I write, you know, just day-to-day any materials that come in for social media or for uh, producing little vlogs or uh, social highlights. Uh, I usually write the content for that. I'm in charge of doing the interviews. Um, so I get to meet a lot of people and have a lot of fun. That's uh, what I went to college for. I have a communication studies degree, a uh, master's in integrated marketing communication, and then a BFA in creative writing. So um, it's really been a terrific place to be able to do what I love and meet new people and meet students and meet faculty, people of all ages, You know, people here for all different reasons, um, and get to learn their stories. Stories, and then I get to share those stories with the college and beyond. So, really, it's been a terrific fit. I, can I share? This is one of the first people I've ever met who's actually using her degree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, and she did I mean, all of that before she was twenty-four years yeah. old, right? <laughs> she's got the bachelor's, and two bachelors, and master's, and it's and she's doing what she studied for. So, God bless. Good for you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, and I give credit back again to CBCC because um, I did the Career and College Promise program when I was a high school student, and it's because I got some credit hours with that Career and College Promise program that I was able to get two bachelors in four years. So Yeah, because yeah. there's a lot of BFAs loading groceries at Publix right now. I, I know that for a fact. But, you know, she gets to use her uh, writing skills not only as an author here, but it sounds like in everything you do. Yes, yes. That's and great. It's great that I don't get tired of writing yet. Like, you know, usually I think, oh, I'm going to get burnt out. Like when I was in um, undergrad, 
and all of the writing assignments that we had to do for, you know, three to four classes at a time. Oh, my goodness. I was like, can I actually be like a full-time writer? Because this is exhausting. <laughs> but <laughs> Tougher than it looks, Yes, right? <laughs> but, um, but no, I do enjoy uh, talking with people at the college and learning about different programs and um, – I feel like I'm still learning, you know, which which I guess you're supposed to do, but it's it's been a lot of fun. Whole variety of subject matter out mm-hmm. there. Yes. Do you find yourself uh, proofing and revising your colleagues' work before it goes out? That do actually, you, no, that know. that actually is part of my position. Ah, fantastic! I proofread, so um, she's supposed to give criticism. Yeah, because there's nothing worse than something going out with a typo in it or right, something right, like yeah. that. Yeah. Some some people have told me I should be a teacher. I feel like I could never really be a teacher personally just because I don't know I I feel like sometimes I have different learning strategies like that I come up with and memorization techniques that are a little bit different so um but proofing and critiquing writing um I can do that pretty easily that's why I'm an editor is because I'm a much better editor than I am a writer because I'm too lazy to be a writer like Richard can actually sit down and put his behind in the chair and put out chapters and I'm going I want to know what's going on in that book over there, so I'd much rather read it than write it. But aren't, as an editor, you a teacher, too? I mean, because you're teaching me where to put my commas and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. and you're teaching your colleagues better writing because the next time they won't make that mistake. I've, I've tried to learn from that. Yeah, because if you can get the person that you're proofing to look at what you've done, oftentimes it becomes second nature to them to where when their first drafts come out, they will be better than you know, the second draft or, you know, whatever. So it's like driving a car, you know, it kind of becomes second nature to you, that writing. And we do collaborative writing here. For example, maybe at any one time, Richard will start off with a memo uh, or an article and he'll forward it to me and then I'll update, edit, modify, add my spin on it. And then we ultimately give it to Robert because he is the editor. so To make us all sound like we know yeah, what we're talking about. He'll shine yeah. it really nice. So it, it's nice to be able to collaborate with people that are strong writers. Right. I, I just know a lot of verbs. That's right. all. <laughs> well, and at Red Hawk Communications, we're um, a little bit of the same way, too, a very collaborative. There's a graphic designer. Um, so she designed all of the elements of the SOAR magazine. I wrote it, but she designed everything, all of the, um, the infographics, layout. the layout, nice. the the text font, all, everything, the typography. Uh, who, who is this? Um, this is Carly Charles. Okay. Uh, wonderful designer. And then we also have a social media specialist, Ashley Holt. We have our um, print shop uh, leader, Jonathan Lale. We have um, our brand uh, guide and our brand um, overseer, Doreen Hendricks. We have um, the leader of the entire group, uh, Jennifer Cobb. She does a fantastic job of putting us together and um, really making it collaborative. And then we have our project manager, uh, Taylor Willis. And then I don't, I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anyone. Um, But, but yeah, so it's a great team and we all play, you know, very important roles in our, in our areas. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's, I really enjoy working here. It sounds like it takes a village to sell a cottage. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Because they're putting out all the information of, you know, why it's a good why it's a good deal to come to Catawba Valley Community College and you know why it's good to do your two years here or get your certification here and things like that. So that's that's great. You got a good team to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then did I mention social media? 
Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. So that's Miss Holt. Yeah. Yes, she's, that's, she's done um, some great work for us in the past, pushing stuff on the CBCC Facebook page and Instagram and. Yeah, and that's that's mostly where my writing comes in of just writing. You know, Ashley and I will go back and forth on creative little short blurbs that'll go underneath. Um, for social posts and that sort of thing. So we get to create a lot together, which is fun. Maybe you've got a poetry career then, because if you're taking big blocks of text and <laughs> boiling it down to a concentrate with just a few lines, that's yeah. what poets do. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> and it, who is the audience for SOAR? Is it the community? Is the it community, alum? it's community. A lot. We have um, a section for all of the teaching and learning programs. We have diversity and engagement. We have... Um, things for students, we have things for faculty staff, we have content for the community. Um, So really, it's just an audience, you know, as large as possible. We're trying, I don't want to say the audience is everyone because, but, but it, it kind of is catered toward, you know, whoever's interested in higher learning and the college and learning about our partnerships with the community. And it's an old-fashioned, traditionally printed magazine as well as an online version. Yes, right? it's interactive. Where can where can the listeners find SOAR magazine in the area? Um, so you can contact Red Hot Communications uh, directly um, for inquiries to receive the magazine, but uh once you get the magazine, there is a, you can scan a QR code, and then that will pull up the digital issue. And that is the name of the online uh, website that we use. It's called Issue. Hey, boss man, that sounds like something we should be in next issue. Mm-hmm. We can get some people out there who want to come tell them tell us their stories. I think we should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. And, As an initiative of CVCC, we fit. And if you want to give me a stack of them, I can leave them in various doctors' offices because at my age, I spend most of my time when I'm not at work in a doctor's office. So I can just leave them on the tables there. So. And I do have an issue of it on my uh, the conference room in my office. Perfect. So when people come Good. in, they see it. So Good. and I have extra copies of it. So it's wonderfully laid out, by the way, and the articles are seamless to read. So kudos, kudos. Well, thank you. With all that work you're doing, it sounds like you wouldn't have any time to come up with a novel, and yet you have. How did that work? Because you've been writing since you were age. Uh, Since I could pick up a pencil, honestly. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so I guess I've always been a very multitasking artistic person. I grew up doing, when I wasn't in school, I was doing theater. When I wasn't doing theater, I was doing church band. When I wasn't doing church band, I was doing chorus. When I wasn't doing chorus, I was volunteering at the American Heart Association, so, um, and I did some other volunteer work uh, for a camp too. So, um, I just, I really enjoy creating and making. And um, I don't, I don't really know. I, I just, I wrote during high school. I, I wrote um, this first book that we're talking about today actually during high school. Um, I probably stayed up way too late <laughs> for the average high school student to get that done on top of my classes and sports and that sort of thing. Um, but it's just something that when I start writing, I really just get a new source of energy and a new source of ex- new source of excitement. So um, I just I just keep on, I guess. It's not at all daunting then that you two hundred plus pages. You know, you've got that under your belt to do, or you're looking at it going, can I write a novel? I mean, that's that's a pretty daunting test to a lot of people. Yeah, and and that's something, I guess, where it's just like a personal gift that I have a little bit because um, I didn't realize until I went to school how many people 
enjoy writing or don't like it at all. And it's, you know, a very daunting task, whereas to me it's the one thing that's always come easy to me. Um, And so I don't really have, when I start, I don't really have like a set page count that I'm aiming for. I kind of just see where where the story goes. And I probably, um, this is probably not great advice for writers out there. I don't really do an outline. I just kind of, I can visualize and I can kind of see where the story goes and I'll write scene by scene and then I'll find ways for the scenes and the chapters to connect. Um, and then if they don't necessarily connect, you know, maybe I'm like, oh, maybe that's not the best fit or um, maybe I need to go a different direction and explore something there. Um, but I, I just sit at my laptop and, and just write, <laughs> and it just comes. Were you able to continue writing this while you were in college? Because I heard you say that you started this in high school. Mind you, now you're in getting your bachelor's and you, you are doing writing for your classrooms. Did you use your background for ARIA for any writing assignments or improve it and tweak it during your college years? I did. I did. So um, I actually... Uh, I the aria is a trilogy. There are two other books, um, and I finished them all before I graduated high school. And um, Whoa. <laughs> and so I was actually able to use the excerpt of the last book in this trilogy. Um, I submitted it to a scholarship uh, contest in Catawba County and received the scholarship for that excerpt. Um, so that was very encouraging, of course, and then used that scholarship to uh, help fund my time at UNC Wilmington. And yes, I most <laughs> yes, I most definitely did pull some material from these books for some creative writing assignments um, that first few years, just to you know, I didn't. I didn't copy and, and use it again and again in different classes because you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to create original content for each class. But I did pull some of this content from there. Okay. And that makes sense mm-hmm. because now knowing that you have all three written mm-hmm. and you started it in high school and you are a young author, a young person but a mature author. And I want to clarify that because I find you to be very um, – very proficient in your writing well, for somebody you. of young age, but you've been writing forever, so it mm-hmm. makes perfect sense. Um, so when it was time for you to kind of wrap up the manuscript that we received for the ARIA, available on RedHawkPublications.com, or by the author. Um, Excuse the sales pitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, sold a couple this morning, just wrapped them up and shipped them out. It's just a matter of now you kind of look it over with, with your older eyes and you tweak it, tweak it, tweak it. Yes. And then we give you notes. Yes. And you get to fine-tune it a little bit more. Yes. So that's, that's mm-hmm. kind of what's happening for, for book two because mm-hmm. I just finished this book one and I'm like, I need the next book. <laughs> do, do, you, do you think of an overarching plot that, you know, characters are going to start here and they're going to go here and here? Do you have an idea of what conflicts that they're going to, or are you one of those writers that is so lucky, because I'm not one of those writers, that lets the characters lead the writer? Because I'm one that my characters don't lead me anywhere. I have to lead them. They're like chess pieces that I have to move. But I have talked to dozens of writers whose characters can surprise them, they'll say, and a book will go in a direction that they never intended it to go. Is that where your characters, is that how your characters do? For someone who 
does not outline as they should. Um, I I do I do a little bit of you know I I write down scenes as they come to me and then I kind of reorganize them. So I do in a sense outline them. I wouldn't necessarily say that my characters lead me. I think I definitely lead the characters, um, but uh, I do have. The, the plot surprises me. I don't necessarily go into a novel thinking, you know, I, I have an ending and, and a beginning and kind of where I want it to go. But as far as overall themes um, take place, for example, this is called the Aria. So it's about music. I found myself um, coincidentally finding a few little phrases and lyrics from other songs that I was hearing at that time when I wrote it um, back in 2014 originally. Uh, and I was like, oh, my goodness, what if I just start lacing, like, song lyrics that are could also be used as phrases, you know, that people would pick up on if they knew the song, but they don't necessarily need to be um, straight outright. And kind of then, an Easter egg. Right, yeah. right. And so then... Um, I found myself writing about different little objects and different little um, gestures that characters would make again and again. And I was like, oh, I think like a theme is coming here. So if you read the aria, she'll talk a lot about um, this cream ribbon that she has. And it's uh, originally it wasn't supposed to be anything special. But in the second and third book, um, without giving anything away, it becomes a very, very important piece in uh, basically solving this giant plot hole that comes um so or giant plot change that comes so um knowing that it was supposed to be a book about music and a book about singing and playing instruments and dancing and and that sort of art um I did try to put themes that I knew growing up in theater growing up in chorus and that sort of um phrasing and those sort of uh, things that were special to me I kind of I say it's a mix of reality and fiction because it is all it is all fiction, but it also um, was inspired by some real events. So uh, I tried to put those in there where I could. So the competition aspect that you've got in the book is like, what is that? Is that an exacerbation of the way competition feels in the real world when you're competing for a for a role or you're competing for competing for a part in the chorus? Yes. Is that where that comes from? That's kind of where it comes from. Also, it was because I wanted to um, make a dystopian theme. I love dystopian themes. Um, When the Hunger Games was filmed in Hickory back in 2012, and I did not find out that it was filmed in Hickory until, or, you know, that the Hickory area. until Henry River Mill Village. Yes, exactly. District 12. Until I did not find out about that until one kid came to my high school one day and was like, oh, I got to be an extra in that. And I've always loved film. And I was like, well, my goodness. What I didn't get a letter in my mailbox, and like little little Cassidy was so like, oh, I can't believe I I missed out, and and so then I was like, okay, maybe I can, if if I can't be a part of that, maybe I can make something for myself, and so that's a little bit of where the inspiration came to, um, and so uh, I was like, if I have to have a dystopian kind of one world government theme, I need a very big competition prize, something that drives the characters. So that's where the competition aspect came from. Yeah, that's another question that, that I have, too, is what is your inspiration? What have you read growing up? What authors have you read that have that have informed you in your work? 
Um, so I'm going to be quite honest. Please. I don't really read. I don't really like to read. Um, for a writer, I, I get a lot. They're like, oh, my goodness. People say, oh, my goodness. Um, so I read... I gr- growing up, I read what I needed to for, for high school and for work um, and for college. But I love stories, and I love film, and I, but I love literature. Um, but I don't know. I just don't read. I could not tell you the last book that I read. I couldn't, like, all the way through. So Hunger Games series, did you? Did I didn't you, read it. Didn't read in that? Mm-mm. What about read it. Harry Potter? Did you see the movies? I did. I did. Okay. I tried to read okay. Harry Potter. I didn't read Harry Potter growing up. Well, you are very blessed in a in a natural talent yeah. because of your your use of grammar. The fact that your book is dialogue so led, dialogue, yeah, driven. which means that it's a lot of show instead of tell. Yeah. You get so many books that are just paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of exposition. And you get tired of being told when you really mm-hmm. want to be shown. Mm-hmm. Now, the characters in your in your book, in the aria, show us things by conversing, mm-hmm. by talking. And uh, you handle that very well for someone who's not read something that portrays that. Uh, also, too, you know, all books are about Joseph Campbell's adventure of the protagonist with an antagonist. I mean, it goes all the way back to Homer. You know, it goes back to the Odyssey. Uh, it goes back to Gilgamesh. Um, we see it in Star Wars. We see it in Harry Potter. You've got the same thing going on here. There's an adventure. There's a protagonist. But Patty and I were just talking this morning, and I'm going to let her continue with this, about your protagonist. Well, keep in mind, um, I, I, there are times when I want to kick her in the butt. Um, Carson drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. But it's because, you know, A, it's a book, but I'm totally invested in it. I'm totally mm-hmm. reading it. And I'm like, what are you thinking, girl? Let me slap you over here. Um, she's a teenage girl. It shouldn't surprise me that she's going to be a pain. Okay? She's going through those <laughs> angst. She's going through relationship issues. She's totally into her own world. But she is loving and caring to her family. So, you know, I guess we can say that I'm invested in the book. I'm invested in the character that sometimes I want to slap. That's about all yeah. I can say. Good. <laughs> and Good. That, and see, that's another thing that's amazing. You just sit here and say that you don't read widely. Because today, a very popular trope in especially young adult novels are unlikable protagonists. Protagonists that you really have to struggle to, to care about them. But the thing about it is, is what these, these people have done with these unlikable protagonists is as they go through their tortures, as they go through their, their, their uh, uh, retribution to regenerate into a better person by the end of the novel or the end of the series, uh, you know, you've done that without it being shown. Was that, I mean, being taught to you, was that something that came from just the character have you known someone like her uh, that, you know, you just want to take them and shake them and go, stop being so self-destructive to your own, you know, your own needs? Yeah. So um, originally when I wrote it uh, and I wrote Carson's character, um, I think that she was uh, subconsciously like a, a mix of a bunch of character types, I guess, um, or, or character types I had seen in books that I had read. Um, but you're right. She's a teenager, and I think she's supposed to be a little 
self-absorbed and a little naive because she's in this world and all she's known is, you know, power plays and um, people taking advantage of other people and uh, hasn't really had exposure to some of the real world life experiences that you would have if you weren't under, you know, control of a dystopian government. So, um, yeah, I think that as I was developing her and then I was, I was reading it again and developing it again, I realized I was like, you know, she may be a little annoying. <laughs> she may be a little like, what are you thinking? But um, as the as the story develops and as the next books come, I think you'll see some of the reasons why she is how she is and also uh, really kind of cheer her on because of the person that she becomes. Um, and I had not thought until you just said it that the fact that she has grown up under an authoritarian government would mean that a lot of her thinking has been done for her. Exactly. Because that's what authoritarian governments are for. Exactly. Is to, you know, push the national pride and and keep the people from having to think for themselves. The nation thinks for you mm-hmm. to where you don't have to. So when she is faced with things that she has to think through on her own, she oftentimes has trouble. There's mm-hmm. a lot and of fear. Yes. That's what's well, going on. Well, authoritarian governments. These are all <laughs> teenagers. Yeah. Teenagers that want to party and have a good time. But they also know that the soldiers at any moment can do terrible things to them. So, yeah, that's and, – and again, that's my old eyes looking at it. It's like, hey, you guys, stop doing this. You're going to get in trouble. And, well, not that you're annoying, but uh, is there any of you in that character? I think that – not really. Um, I think that I used to think that there was a little bit of me in the, that character. Um, but – I think that some of the some of the ways that she some of the things that she experiences in the plot, um, as far as uh, competitions and feeling you know a little um, a little unimportant, but also like trying to navigate her self worth and that sort of thing. I think that we all kind of go through that at some point, um, but also. Just as someone who was in arts, I think I wrote it with a vision in mind of what I had experienced. But then as the story progressed, I was like, mm, maybe I I hope I'm not <laughs> quite like this. So um, I didn't really write her as, as anything to do with anyone I knew. None of the main characters. Um, not really anyone, especially in in this um, are based off of people that I know. But um, I definitely, I mean, I am a writer, so I do draw on some conversations that I have with people or, you know, like listen in in the coffee shop to different conversations going around. I think that's where a lot of the dialogue comes from. Didn't we hear that the other day from Scott Owens? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just, that's what I was getting ready to say. And the fact that uh, when, when in the early 2000s, when I was at my most prolific writing, I used to go sit around in bars and listen to, to drunk people talk and tell stories. And then I would take those home and turn them into short stories, stories that I would sell to you know, local magazines and things like that. So No one is safe yeah. in a conversation. Well, if, you, if you talk too loud it's, about your personal life, I can't help happen, that, I, that yeah. I'm going to turn it into a short story and, and or that Cassidy's going to turn it into something. <laughs> Some writer somewhere is listening. That's right. That's right. Well, you're quite a few years from this story if you wrote it in high school. Mm-hmm. So what, what are you working on these days? So I have another screenplay that I wrote. 
um, that I... Notice she says another. <laughs> well, a few. I've, I, How many are we talking about here? Um, one full one, and then a couple TV episodes, and then another half one that I keep trying to go back to and then can't start and then all that. Um, so uh, I have a screenplay that I wrote my senior year of high school. I turned it into a competition in L.A., and it got like a 6 out of 10. So I was like on most – it ranked 6 out of 10 on most things, mostly – or 5 out of 10. So I was like, okay, okay, maybe I can do some screenwriting. So I took a few screenwriting classes in uh, college. I actually went overseas and studied abroad at the University of Sterling and took a screenwriting class from a uh, retired BBC uh, writer. So um, that was that was really cool to take a screenwriting class from. But um, – and then I have another another book that's a lot more sci-fi called Floor Number Nine, and it um, is about a uh, it's about chimerism. I'm not sure if you if any of you have heard about that. It's about um, a hospital, a fictional hospital that uh, has something called chimerism, which is something that is actually currently happening in technology, where they um, take uh, pig. DNA and pig embryos and um, use some of that to splice it with human DNA so that they can create like human aortas or human um, organs used in transplants. So it was, I was kind of like a, what if, what if the, the chimera, the pig part was actually more human than not? And someone who found, you know, the hospital and had to receive an organ donation found that out. And it's about these chimeras that live on floor nine of this hospital. And one of the one of the girls finds out that the organ that she received is from these more human than animal creatures. And she's like, oh, my goodness, what are the ethics of that? So it explores ethics and yeah, yeah, (laughs) explores ethics and science and all of that. Yeah, it goes back to Robin Cook's book, Coma. Where they used to they used to keep dozens and dozens of people in in comas in the state, and then they would harvest organs from them for wealthy people to have kidney transplants, heart lung transplants, things like that. So that kind of uh, nefariousness with the medical and the scientific mm-hmm. field, yeah. Mm-hmm. And chimeras, I think, is that I don't remember is that Greek? It is Greek. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I can't remember exactly what they're. What their powers were, or what their I can't either. I can't seemed either. like it was a power of transformation, or something like that. It was some sort of there's some sort of creature that's able to, I don't know, some super. Power. Those, those of you out there listening, uh, before <laughs> you go to RedHawkPublications.com and buy the Aria on sale for seventeen dollars while supplies last, Google uh, the Chimera and then uh, send us an email once you've heard this. <laughs> <laughs> Please let me know. Teach us what it is. What have I written about? I don't know. <laughs> because we don't want you listening to dead air while we sit here in Google. <laughs> Participate in the learning. <laughs> yeah, help us along with this, and, and it'll help you with the book as well. It really, I really wish this were live sometime where we could just like you know have Joe out there see the live stream a, going on. Have a phone ring over here. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a question that we have occasionally asked some of our other writers, and given your background and youth. When did you feel that you arrived as an as a writer? When did I feel that I arrived as an author, as a writer? Probably, honestly, um, 
when, when I finished the last book of this series called The Cacophony, um, I knew, you know, it probably needed a lot of eyes to edit, and uh, the whole series probably needed to be rewritten eventually. But I had written three 300-page books. I, I was like, I, I think I can justify going to school for a BFA. And um, I really do think that... Uh, I, I think that if you work really, really hard and... Um, really want to write and, and put your mind to it, you know. You can create a work of art with words. And um, I do think, though, that I do have a special... I mean, I must because, like I said, I don't really read. Like, I, I read growing up what I could. Um, I think most of what I've ever read is the Bible. So, like, I don't think I've really read a lot of literature recently That's um, that's especially dystopian. And uh, I think that's something that I kind of challenge myself with because I was like, mm, everyone tells me, like, I'm the writer that doesn't read. I was like, let's see how long I can keep this up. Let's see if I can get published being the writer that doesn't read. Um, and it's not that I don't enjoy other people's writing, and it's not that I don't enjoy stories. I think it's just I don't really have the patience. <laughs> I'd rather be, like you said at the beginning, you would rather be reading the story. Yeah. I would rather be creating. I would rather be doing something with the words. And um, I'll tell you, there is one thing you're avoiding by doing that. You're avoiding something called Tolstoy syndrome. Uh, Tolstoy syndrome is when a writer writes something and reads it, and it could be the most wonderful thing in the world, but they'll think to themselves, it's not Tolstoy, because Tolstoy mm -hmm. was the one that wrote the beautiful stuff, you know, and so they suffer from this, my writing's not good enough, and oftentimes it leads to a block or it leads to somebody quitting. You know, one of the reasons why I quit was because I couldn't sell anything. You know, the markets were all looking for uh, other types of authors who had not had the opportunity to be published in the last, you know, 150 years. So, you know, when it came down to my story and, you know, a, uh, a lady from uh, Laos or a lady from Nigeria, mm -hmm. the lady from Nigeria's mm -hmm. story would get published. And I kind of went, that's okay. I think I can live with mm -hmm. that. Because, again, I get to read other people's writing. You know, I read your book and gave you markup, and you wonderfully went back to the drawing board, cut what was needed to be cut, tightened up what needed to be tightened up. That shows that you're a real writer right there, if nothing else. And, you know, there are a lot of other artists, and I'm thinking about, like, recording artists, comedians, uh, talk show hosts, um, that don't like to hear other artists. Uh, comedians don't want to hear other comics. Uh, talk show hosts don't want to see other talk show host shows because they don't want a crib. They don't want to reuse other people's tropes yes. and themes. Yes. So to me, in a way, I totally understand why you might not want to read someone else's. And I actually have a, a little bit more respect for what you've done considering this is all you. This is yeah, you've absolutely. created a universe that's authentically you and we know you didn't borrow or crib from anyone else absolutely so, and i props. and and i that's, didn't that's I, neat <laughs> i didn't want to you know say oh my goodness like everything you know i i created everything but it's true i don't i'm afraid of sometimes um having having an idea and then reading it and being like oh gosh no i can't do that or you know 
seeing a trope or seeing a theme that then I want to pull from, and it's like, gosh, but then I'm taking from someone else's work. Yeah, this has been done before. Yeah, and and I don't want to take from other people's creativity, and I also don't want to kind of have my dreams taken, you know, by reading something and being like, oh, oh my goodness, I had this idea, and now it's taken, oh, I, now I, I can't I do I it. That. Yeah. I've, so, I've, I've had students in, in English 111 classes, freshman comp classes, you know, say, you know, well, she's doing that subject, and I go, you can do it too, because... This student is going to go to it from this perspective, and you're going to probably take it from another perspective. So go ahead. I mean, you know, what you were talking about the chimeras a while ago, it's kind of a trope that is recognizable as far back as the 1970s in Robert uh, Robin Cook's books. But this is going to be your story. It's going mm-hmm. to be your twist on it, mm-hmm. your perspective on it, and it's going to be very worth reading and very worth doing. So, you know, no writer, whether it's a writer that's well-read or a writer that doesn't read, should ever think that, you know, they're stealing something for somebody else or something like that. You're not. Yeah. There's You're not coming. much that hasn't been done already. Well, all it's we all, do it's all just Joseph Campbell's. It's all yeah. Joseph Campbell's yeah. trip of the, of the hero. Very that's true. every yeah. single story. Same story over and over again. Over and again. over again. Mm-hmm. And how you get popular today is... We've already mentioned the uh, unlikable protagonist, but you do things that will defy the expectations of the reader. You kill off characters that you did not think that, you know, that the reader won't think you'd kill off. You have them do things that the reader would think. Readers thinking, ah, here's where she's going to do this and this and this, and then all of a sudden they do the exact opposite, and the readers go, whoa, I never saw that coming. I mean, yeah. you see that all in narrative art. Instead of the Red Wedding, we're going to have the Red Concert. I don't know. <laughs> well, see, <laughs> you talk about the Red Wedding, but George R.R. <laughs> R. Martin has made $130 million <laughs> off of defying people's expectations when it comes to that kind of fantasy novel. I mean, that's what he did. I mean, he kills off all of these characters during this 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 thing called the Red Wedding. Spoiler, spoiler. And we all just went, whoa, no. I mean, I remember when we read it back in the day when it was still just on paper. It was a uh, come back to work and all the customers are going, dude, did you read this? And I'm going, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got to zig when everybody else expects you to zag. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned the cacophony as the third of them, but what's the second in the series? So it's a little bit harder to pronounce. It's called the ritornello. But the ritornello is a musical term where, um, in a musical score, uh, the original melody returns, but it's in a different key. It's in a different theme. So even though it's a harder word to pronounce, I really wanted to keep it because it the story returns, but with a different theme and a different key. So, And I don't want to put you on the spot, but are, they, are, are is Red Hawk Publications going to publish these other two books, or, or are we... Uh, are they? <laughs> are, they, are, they up for, for the are they up to edit another one of my novels? Because if I, they are... I think we would be interested in... Okay. <laughs> well, I, Until I'm, Simon & Schuster calls. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Until one of the big four calls, and then we're going to send you to New York. I need to know what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's saying. what she was complaining about this morning. She's going like, this, this book is part of a series. I know it now, and I'm going like, yeah. I'm just saying, hopefully, by the end of the second book, you'll think 
the, it'll be a completely different story. I'm just saying, it'll be a completely different story in wow. a good way. In a wow, good way. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's, well, I that's the learn, kind of turns you on. I do want to learn more about the regime a little bit. Um, and it's okay if it's not there. Don't worry about oh, it. Oh, it's there. Oh, good. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, good. it's so, it's, you, you touch on it enough to make me incredibly curious. So yeah, the political aspect of it is yeah. cool. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's great. You know, it builds interest. That's what you want, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, when we were looking through uh, our emails with you, Cassidy, we first heard from you, I think it was October 12th of 2021. So, in effect, it was, what, 12 months, 13 mm-hmm. months mm-hmm. from our notes, edits back to you, you doing revisions, coming back to us. And, you know, we go back and forth. That's how it gets done. And you were incredibly dutiful, uh, yes. respectful of timelines. Uh, you did your work, and thank you. Well, thank you all for your hard work in helping this become the book that it is now. And now I get to uh, sell it, and you get to sell it, and see where it goes. Do you have any appearances uh, scheduled yes. anywhere that you'd like to put so, out to the— Yes, so November 28th. Mark at, this on your calendars, people, right please now. Please do. November 28th, <laughs> 6 p.m., I will be at the Hickory Public Library for a book signing. Um, so, yeah. Patrick Beaver. Yep. Patrick Beaver Library in mm-hmm. downtown Hickory, right there off of Highway 127, November 28th at? 6 p.m. 6 p.m. You'll have books there that people yes, can pick the book up and mm-hmm. get you to autograph it mm-hmm. at the same time. So Ooh, that's a nice little reading from a yes. good... And if I they have. want to buy it online... It's at redhawkpublications.com. You just go to that very first page with new releases, and it's right there somewhere with all of our other new releases. It's our newest novel to our family, and we welcome it. So one last question. Was it harder to write the book in the first place or go through the revisions? Um, Definitely harder to write it. Okay. Because when I, um, like I said, way back in 2014, had... In the Stone Age. Yes. A very, a very minimum um, outline. Um, And I really enjoy the editing process. I think that's something unique to me, too, is that I'm like, well, the story is already there. Let's just make it better. Or, you know, new ideas come, and I'm like, okay, I can scratch that, you know, cheesy idea and put this in. So um, I like the editing process. I can remember when I was 24 years old, and eight years was a long time. <laughs> yeah. Or I can remember at 24, I thought every word I wrote was golden. Oh, my and I God. I anybody changing it. So, yeah, when um, I was 16, I was sending stories to Alfred Hitchcock's magazine in Ellery Queens, and they would send me these, you know, just instant rejections. And I just got, well, they just don't know how good this is. <laughs> you know, my mother would go, keep it up, keep it up. And I'd go like, no, I'm not going to send them anything else because they can't appreciate it. <laughs> it's all a process. Yes. <laughs> well, Cassidy Collins, thank you so much for gracing us with your book because it's turned out marvelously well. It's great to find talent here on campus. And uh, we look forward to the next one because you've cliff hung Patty. She, she's ready for the next one. <laughs> and thank you for gracing us with your presence today in these plush welded studios of Red Hawk Publications here at Catawba Valley Community College, and the best community college in America. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to wherever you're reading, hearing this. Hearing and if you this. want to hear more of the conversation or a version of the conversation, go to Winging It, which they can get by going to. Um, they can find it on Spotify. Okay. And um, the re- 
read the Red Hawk Report. Um, it's always linked on the Red Hawk Report um, for those of you that are uh, members of Catawba Valley Community College. And, um, yeah, you can find it on Spotify. Okay. And if you're listening, then you already know how to find Red Pub Pod. And our last dictate of the day is, can you say that? Red Pub Pod. Wow. She's well, one of the best ones She's ever. a natural. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> that <laughs> communications degree <laughs> is well worth every dollar yes. that, yes. that was paid to get it. Yeah. Even the enunciation was paid for there. So. Oh, sure. That was flawless, yes. <laughs> Red Pub Pod. There you go. Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. I want everybody to have a good evening or morning or whenever you're listening to this on RedHawkPublications.com. Buy books. Buy them now for Christmas. Our not-so-subliminal pitch. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. You've been listening to another award-winning edition of... Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. A podcast. Red Pub Pod. From Red Hawk Publications. Red Pub Pod. Wow. 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 Wow.